You're listening to The Semi-Failed Writer. This is a show about my life experiences, my love for entertainment, and of course, my failures. Someone to kiss, someone to miss, when you're away through here, gone each day, to be loved, to be loved, wow, what a feeling, to be loved, some wish to be a king or a queen, some wish for fortune and fame. But to be truly, 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 truly loved is more than all of these things. Wow! Someone to care, someone to share, lonely hours and moments of despair. To be loved, to be loved. Wow! What a feeling! What's up, my people? Welcome to the show. I'm sorry, I, I did not put an episode out two weeks ago because I wasn't feeling well. Don't worry, it wasn't COVID. But I got proper treatment, I'm feeling a lot better, and I have the energy now to put together this piece. I'm certain all of you have seen the promotions, the teasers, the trailers. We have a sequel to Coming to America. It's called Coming to America, the number two. And it is coming to Amazon Prime Video this Friday, March 5th. I assumed that many people would go back and revisit the first film to get a refresher, to get hyped about the sequel that is set 33 years later. And this is what I'll be reviewing today. And I know I'm not the first person to be doing this. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Rewatchables had their discussion on coming to America. But I haven't listened to any of the other episodes. I don't want that influencing what I do here. I don't want any of... uh, their reviews to put doubt on what I put together here. You know, I'm I'm just doing the best I can. I put in a lot of hours to put this together. So all I can ask for is that you take a listen and enjoy what I have to offer. So let's get started. Coming to America begins in the fictional country of Zamunda. It is Prince Akim Jaffer's birthday, and it is time for him to be married off. Off-put by the lack of independence from his bride and his own lack of independence, Akeem and his friend Semi travel to, you guessed it, America. They go to Queens, New York specifically, and hide their royal status in order to be treated normally. While there, Akeem meets Lisa McDowell, a down-to-earth and independent woman who is not interested in wealth and status. He attempts to win Lisa's heart, but their potential of having a meaningful relationship is complicated by Lisa's boyfriend, her family, and Akeem's obligations as a royal. Coming to America was released in 1988, written by David Sheffield and Barry Blaustein, and directed by John Landis. The film stars Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, John Amos, Madge Sinclair, and Sherry Headley. Also known as... We're going to go ahead and skip Eddie Murphy. We just talked about him in our last review of Trading Places, so let's move on to Arsenio Hall. Right after he did Coming to America, he signed on to do a late-night talk show, The Arsenio Hall Show, which lasted uh, about six seasons. You guys have to remember that. The fist pumps and the the dog barks from the audience. Presidential candidate Bill Clinton showed up playing a saxophone. There's one other thing that makes me think of Arsenio Hall. He made an appearance on The Chappelle Show, And it was a sketch where Dave was having dinner and some guy came up to him to try to pitch a movie idea to him. Dave tunes this guy out and he starts thinking about other random stuff, like what Arsenio is up to at the moment. And then the thought bubble shows up and it's uh, 
Arsenio at a wine and cheese party, and he says the famous line, Damn, that's some good-ass cheese. And then he proceeds to smack some people around because they wouldn't tell him how good the cheese was. That's some good-ass cheese. That does get brought up from time to time. I think most recently uh, we had a Zoom New Year's party and everybody knew what we were talking about. So anytime I see a charcuterie board, I think of Arsenio. James Earl Jones, it's all about that voice. He's had a wonderful career, a huge list of acting roles that he's done. But the most iconic roles have to do with that voice. Darth Vader, Mufasa from The Lion King. This is CNN. John Amos. He was a former football player turned actor. He also had an impressive resume. I'll bring up two roles. He was the adult version of Kunta Kinte in the TV miniseries Roots. Now, I have to be honest with you, I have never watched Roots. I hear about it all the time, and I thought this whole time that the only person that played Kunta Kinte was LeVar Burton. I didn't realize that this whole series was like a saga that spanned many ages and Kunta Kinte grew up. And that was John Amos. I'm sorry about that. And here's another role that might be past our time unless you were a fan of TV Land. John Amos was first introduced as James Evans Sr. in the TV show Maud. And then they did a spinoff where he became a series regular. And that show is called Good Times. You probably heard of the show. Probably never seen an episode. That's okay. Madge Sinclair, she is the queen in Coming to America. I want to bring up a couple of roles she did too. There was a spinoff of the TV show MASH, and it was called Trapper John M.D. She was a star on that show. She played Ernestine Shoup. She also, funny enough, she played Sarabi, Simba's mother in the original Lion King. So again, she was opposite James Earl Jones. She played queen to his king in this movie. She will not be in the sequel, and that's only because, uh, sadly, she passed away in 1995 after a 13-year battle with leukemia. That's crazy. If you do the math, that means that in 1988, she was already several years into her battle with cancer. She was filming movies, TV shows, while ill. It's really sad. Let's go into Sherry Headley. For me, Lisa McDowell is her most recognizable role. If you're a fan of All My Children, you would remember her as Detective Mimi Reed. She was on the show from 1991 to 94. I was more of a young and the restless girl myself. She was also in the music video to Will Smith's Wild Wild West. She wasn't in the motion picture at all. However, she was featured in the music video that was a promotion to the film. Heroes and villains. We're not going to look at this as protagonists, antagonists, supporting characters. We're going to talk about them in terms of good character and bad character. And when I say character, I mean their, their personal attributes, the qualities and the values that they have. The three best people in this film are definitely Akeem, Lisa, and Queen Aeolion. Akeem is someone that has everything handed to him. His life is already planned out for him, and even though he doesn't seem ungrateful about any of it, he can't help but feel that his life is boring and unfulfilling. I love the joy that comes out of Akeem's face when he's in America. He has this huge smile and loves that people are free to throw out their garbage wherever they want. He loves dressing up like the locals. 
And he loves mopping the floor with towels. It's wonderful to see someone in a place of privilege care about independence, hard work, and humility. Lisa embodies all of these qualities. It was important that she be introduced at a local rally, the one that she organized, the one helping to raise funds for her community. It shows that she's a caring person. She thinks of others before herself. I would say that's one of her best qualities is that she shows kindness to everyone, except if they try to make decisions on her behalf. And you can see that. Like, she's so friendly to Akeem after she meets him for the first time, says hi to him every time she passes by. And then she will show daggers coming out of her eyes when Daryl announces that they're getting engaged and he doesn't even bring it up to her first. Queen Aeolion's best quality is that she's a mom first and a queen second. For the most part, she follows along with the traditions of Zamunda, but then she recognizes that her son's happiness is just as important. And it's really funny that she's defiant of the king. She's never afraid of talking back to him. Like, one point she tells him to stick a sock in it. And it makes me wonder, you, you have Akeem's bride, Amani, who is trained from birth to not only act like a queen, but to be 100% obedient to her husband, to like everything that he likes. I'm not sure what Aeolion's training was like, but she doesn't seem like the one to like every single thing that King Joffy likes. Now we go to the people with bad character. You have King Joffy, Cleo McDowell, and Daryl Jenks. I don't think of any of these characters as villains. There's no one sabotaging Akeem and Lisa's relationship just to spite them. I think these characters, they just have their values in the wrong place. King Joffy may be the person that has the most power to ruin Akeem's happiness, but in his defense, he's a product of his own environment. He was born a royal and learned early on that he must demonstrate authority, and he also learned that tradition is incredibly important. These two things are what makes Zamunda a beautiful and prosperous country. He does redeem himself at the end for updating the rules and allowing Akeem to marry the woman he truly loves not someone that they arranged for him. Also, he's played by James Earl Jones. Who doesn't like James Earl Jones, right? The other bad father figure is Cleo McDowell, who cares way too much about status and wealth. But he also comes from a place of concern. He says at one point that he wants Lisa to marry Rich because he doesn't want his children to struggle the way he and his wife did. Earlier on, he tells a story about uh, his humble beginnings where he lived in a really tiny apartment and then eventually worked his way up to becoming the owner of his own company. And that struggle must have been really difficult, and that's why he hopes his children never have to suffer the way that he did. That's understandable. He has a redeeming moment when he stands up to the king and defends his daughter. He could have taken the $2 million offered to him, but he refuses. He puts his daughter and their integrity over money. Now, Daryl Jenks is just a terrible boyfriend. He's insulting, he's a coward, he's a liar, and he's just plain dumb. Have you ever heard of someone announce their engagement before asking the other party if they even want to get married? You're just going to make the decision for the both of you? He doesn't really learn a lesson at the end, but he does get kicked to the curb by Lisa, which is all that we could ask for. So what happened to you, man? I want to talk about Allison Dean, who plays Patrice McDowell, Lisa's younger sister. And this is probably the first time I will have difficulty answering the question, 
So what happened to you, man? Because I have no idea. There's not a lot of information out there, so I'll share what I do know. Coming to America was Allison's first ever film, and I heard somewhere she was 18 years old at the time. Since then, she has been featured in only a handful of projects, and those include Speed 2 Cruise Control and the TV show Girlfriends. She will also not be in the sequel that's coming out, not because she's passed away, but this is where the uncertainty comes in. According to one YouTube channel, The Lionel B Show, Allison allegedly burned bridges on the set of the first film due to her disparaging comments towards Sherry Headley. And that's like one of the number one rules in entertainment. You do not badmouth anybody. That's a surefire way to end your career. There's also a theory that colorism was at play. Like, there's already discrimination in this society based on skin color, but in many cultures, lighter skin is deemed more acceptable than darker skin. I mean, look at Lisa. She's smart. She's friendly. She's the one that's admired by many men. She's light-skinned. Patrice is way too forward, borderline desperate, darker-skinned. Allison's skin color might also be the reason she was overlooked for future roles. But it could have just been her choice to work infrequently. I don't know. She hasn't done many interviews. Um, I couldn't find any social media accounts under her name. It's a mystery. All I can say is that whatever she's doing right now, I hope she's content with her career and with her life choices. Let's talk about the soundtrack. I love the African music incorporated into this film. In the opening credits, you have Lady Smith Black Mambazo performing Mbube. It might have sounded familiar to you. You've heard of The Lion Sleeps Tonight by The Tokens? Same song. Mbube came out first. It was written and recorded by Solomon Linda in 1939 with lyrics in the Zulu language. The song had been covered multiple times throughout the years, and then it got appropriated. In 1961, George David Weiss wrote English lyrics to the song. The Tokens recorded it, and it became their biggest hit. Personally, I like Mbube better. I also like the score created by Nile Rodgers. There's the really long dance routine leading up to the presentation of Imani, and it's set to this tribal rhythmic drum sequence. The best musical piece comes from King Jaffe's Arrival to America. It's so powerful with the African drums, the brass and the strings, and the way that they punch. Rogers also created the jingle for the Soul Glow commercial. Awesome. Rogers claims that this was his proudest moment to be able to create an awesome jingle for a fake commercial. I also want to point out the singing in this movie. Eddie Murphy sings three songs in this movie. One of them, I think, is a song called I Got It that plays in the background when Akeem and Semi go to the bar. And then you have Eddie as Randy Watson singing The Greatest Love of All, accompanied by the band Sexual Chocolate. And finally, Eddie as Akeem sings To Be Loved, which was made famous by Jackie Wilson. It's great singing on Eddie's part, but I'll actually talk more about these songs in a little bit. The other song I want to mention is... Well, I, I don't know if it had a title, but it's the one that starts off with She's your queen to be. It's Oha. Oha sings it when Amani makes her entrance. And it wasn't until recently that I even knew what the lyrics were. I was so distracted by Amani's 
sparkling gold dress and her long hair and Oha's silky, smooth falsetto voice. I didn't even recognize the problem with the lyrics. And so I'm just going to take a moment now to read them out loud to you. She's your queen to be, a queen to be forever. A queen who'll do whatever his highness desires. She's your queen to be. A vision of perfection, an object of affection to quench your royal fire. Completely free from infection. To be used at your discretion, waiting only for your direction. Your queen to be. It's funny to mention that she's free from infection. It might be suggesting that she's a virgin, but having a clean bill of health is a good thing. But every other line in the song, this is not describing a queen, it's describing a slave. But credit to Paul Bates, who plays Oha for just going for it and giving his all to this performance because it is truly magical. Now we're at best scene, worst scene. I have two selections for best scene in this movie. The first is actually the opening sequence to the film. I mean, waking up to live music from an 11-piece orchestra sounds amazing. Getting bathed by naked women is probably a fantasy for most men. But then Akeem can't do basic things like go to the bathroom by himself. Someone else brushes his teeth for him and dresses him. I like this sequence because it's very effective in establishing the world that Akeem lives in. It immediately introduces Akeem's biggest problem, which is having everything handed to him. The other scene I like is when Akeem sings To Be Loved as he walks home. He sings with such passion, such joy, and then that moment is juxtaposed with all the neighbors telling him to shut the hell up. Even the dogs get in on the action. I think of a movie like Singing in the Rain, where Gene Kelly is the only one outside and he has free reign to express his happiness. Not even the pouring rain can ruin that. Coming to America had their Singing in the Rain moment except Akeem is ignoring angry neighbors yelling out profanities. I personally like this version better. Now the worst scene, it's Randy Watson's underwhelming performance at the rally. And it's because it, it really has no place in this movie in terms of advancing the narrative. I mean, many of the scenes where Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall play different characters are inserted just to showcase their comedic abilities, and that's fine. But those scenes go along with the story. They'll introduce a new character or or reveal something more, more information that Akeem needs to get what he wants. The scene doesn't have much purpose. I mean, at one point they introduce Cleo McDowell and Patrice, who are running the concessions, but you don't need Randy Watson singing to make that happen. And from what I remember, Randy doesn't ever show up again. I read that John Landis wanted to release a director's cut. He felt the movie could have been shorter, but Paramount Pictures rejected that option. Something tells me he would have removed or condensed those scenes with Eddie and Arsenio as characters other than Akeem and Semi. Best line, worst line. The best line. I mean, anytime Semi is insulting someone is pretty funny. He's creative with his insults and profanities. You sweat from a baboon's balls. Hippopotamus shit. You diseased rhinoceros pizzle. And any line where Akeem tries to understand the American culture, like talking about football or making use of the F word, that's hilarious too. But I will say, one of the best lines for me comes when Akeem talks to Lisa for the first time. He asks if she has any trash to dispose of and she doesn't, so he lets her know to call on him if she needs trash taken out. When you think of garbage, 
think of Akeem. Not the smoothest way to talk to a woman, but it makes for a funny meet cute. Not for the worst line. How come she always gets the good ones? I had a whole section devoted to Patrice and how much I dislike this character, but I, f I felt like it, it would have been too much. But this was a terrible reaction from Patrice. She's not upset that Semi lied to her and made her think that he was a prince. She's annoyed that anyone of importance prefers Lisa over her. She doesn't understand why her older sister is admired more than her. Life is not fair is the sentiment I got from her. Hopefully she grew out of that. She probably didn't. My guess is that if they ever mention her in the sequel, they'll say that she did marry someone wealthy and was featured on one of the Real Housewives TV series. True facts about coming to America. There are two behind-the-scenes stories that are the most documented. One was that John Landis and Eddie Murphy got along horribly during production, even though Murphy personally asked Landis to direct. They worked together on Trading Places, which was my last film review, and between the two movies, Landis had a string of crappy movies and three people died on the set of his Twilight Zone movie. So yeah, he wasn't doing very well, and Murphy wanted to do him a favor, get back on his feet, be respected again. I think most of the frustration stems from Landis treating Murphy the same way he did five years ago, like a kid even though Murphy was older and a much, much bigger star in 88. But eventually they did resolve their differences, they did get back together and work on Beverly Hills Cop 3. The other big story was McDowell's ripping off McDonald's. McDowell's was actually a Wendy's store that was in the middle of renovation. And the McDonald's corporate office gave their blessing to the use of McDowell's. However, Someone didn't send a memo because the manager of a McDonald's half a mile away saw this building and threatened to sue the production company. And from what I could tell, nothing came more of that. I think finally someone said, hey, it's okay. No lawsuit necessary. The dance sequence near the beginning of the movie was just a variation of Michael Jackson's thriller music video. I was on IMDb and clicked on a link by accident but the page I went to showed the film title in other countries. In South America, it's called Un Principe en Nueva York. In Czech, it's Cesta do Ameriki. And in Germany, it's Der Prinz aus Zamunda. These are just a few examples. Basically, all the titles either translate to Coming to America, The Prince in New York, or The Prince of Zamunda. Lines from this movie have been referenced in other media. For example, the woman who says she needs a man to go overtime to pleasure her, that monologue was sampled in the Tech 9 song Overtime. And the music that was used during Akeem's bathing scene uh, was included in the song by Snoop Dogg. I won't give out the title, I think I've said enough profanity for one day. In the ending credits, they have a special thanks to list. Special thanks went to the Zamundan Film Commission, which doesn't, nor has it ever existed. In the opening credits, it says it's an Eddie Murphy production. That doesn't exist either. I found out that there is one true kingdom in Africa, and that is Eswatini. You might know it better as Swaziland. They changed their name only a few years ago. There are other monarchies in Africa. There's a couple other countries that have that, but they're called conditional monarchies, meaning they don't have full control of creating policies. They have a government that does that, 
and then whoever's the ruler, the king or the queen, will sign off on it, and that's just a formality. Think of it as like the United Kingdom. Same type of situation. Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici reprised their roles as Randolph and Mortimer Duke from Trading Places. You know that already. But Paul Gleason, aka Clarence Beeks, aka Vernon from The Breakfast Club, he was asked to reprise his role as Beeks, but he couldn't do it. He turned it down because he was filming Die Hard. At the end of Trading Places, we see that he was forced to dress as a gorilla and gets shipped off to Africa. I would have been interested in a follow-up to Clarence Beeks. Did he get free? Did he get shipped back to America as a gorilla? Paul can't make an appearance in the sequel either because he died in 2006. So many deaths, man. I'm sorry. I'm bringing this podcast down. Suspend your disbelief. Three things here. First, I don't know how two men from Zamunda get a job in America. This is my payroll HR experience talking here, but when you take a job in the United States, one of the first documents that you have to fill out is the I-9 form to prove eligibility. And it was around at that time. I think it was like 86, 87 when that was first introduced. And whenever you fill out the I-9 form, you have to present certain documents. I will mention docs from the B and C list, but list A documents include a U.S. passport, a permanent resident card, also known as a green card, or a stamp or a work authorization form. I don't think Akeem or Semi would have any of these documents on hand. They are not U.S. citizens, nor would the Zamundan government allow them to work. You saw how surprised King Joffe was when he found out? Also, Cleo McDowell hires them to work at a party he's hosting at his house, and he has Semi work as a valet. We haven't been given any indication that Semi can drive. Like, he's more in a position to learn work like driving, but I don't think that was ever his job back in Zamunda. That would have been funny to watch him try and clumsily park cars in Jamaica states. And finally, the last thing I want to bring up. I never understood why Lisa entered into a relationship with Daryl in the first place. She is so annoyed when he insults African people right to Akeem's face. Like, that can't be a surprise. I've seen so many times in movies where you have this really nice girl who dates the really popular guy, but he's a major douchebag and a bully. She knows that. She calls it out sometimes, but she ultimately lets it go. She stays with him much longer than he deserves. What's the redeeming quality? What is it about Daryl that Lisa finds so endearing? No, the answer is not good sex. I refuse to entertain that idea. The truth is we don't know. It would have been nice for the movie to mention a moment where Daryl wasn't acting like a jerk. Buying flowers doesn't count. Lisa could have been sick or hospitalized, and Daryl could have been by her side every single day. He could have taken Lisa to all the places she likes, like the museum or the theater. He would be bored out of his mind, but he would be willing to make some sacrifices for her. We didn't get any of that. It'll always be a mystery, like Allison Dean's acting career. The sequel is coming out, as I said earlier, on March 5th. I don't know if I'll watch on day one, but I will watch it. I am curious to see how some of the supporting characters have turned out, like, did Louis Anderson get his promotion to, like, a manager or assistant manager? We'll see. I do have some predictions. This is what I expect to happen in the sequel. First, 
this man that is presumed to be Akeem's son turns out not to be his biological son. I can't imagine that at any point Akeem would have had a one-night stand while in New York. Second, Akeem and Lisa have only daughters, and the rule is that women can't assume the throne. But Akeem is all about progress and updating the rules if necessary, so he will definitely allow his daughters to rule Zamunda if it came to it. And third, there will be no naked women cleaning the royal genitals. I'm serious. The sequel's rated PG-13. Coming to America was rated R. And so, in order to meet those requirements, I doubt there will be any topless women. No fun to be had there, I'm sorry. I think that is all I have for today. I really enjoyed watching this movie again. So entertaining. A lot of memorable moments here. And I also think this is important. This was a great celebration of the African culture and the African-American culture. You can reach me at semifailedwriter at gmail.com. My website is semifailedwriter.com. Twitch, Instagram, at semifailedwriter. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you in a couple of weeks. You have yourselves an excellent March. Take care.